Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. So give your pastor a big hand. Come on, let him know how much you love him, Caleb. All right, you may be seated. Uh, The the first event we did, our church started in in September. So the first 25 years ago, uh, this September, but the first event we did was the single mom's banquet. And we do that for, 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 for single moms and, of course, for widows. And the stories are just unbelievable of what God has done in the last 25 years. So thank you all for embracing that. And every one of you here, there's some, some of you here that feel called to do something special. Some of you, you need to find out how many women come and go, I'm going to give a Walmart gift card. Last year at the Lafayette campus, each woman got $500 of things. From on-cloud tennis shoes for every one of them. From, from one of our businesses. And you know what, you know what, you know what one, one precious lady who cleans houses for a living, she said, I, I, I went to the foot doctor because my feet were hurting so bad. I clean houses for a living. She was Hispanic. Now, we didn't just do it for her because she was Mexican and I am, but she just happened to be. And she said, I went to the doctor and he said, you can't keep wearing cheap shoes. You've got to buy shoes that cost $150 or $200 or your feet are going to continue hurting because you stand on them all day long. And she said, I looked at him and said, I can't afford it. That was the week before. That night she got a pair of on-cloud tennis shoes, which cost $150 to $200 that are worth $50. And there were so many stories of just what God did. So if, if, you have the opportunity. Would you, would you pray about that? For years, Abrines Jewelers, which is now owned by, um, is she here? Are they here? Is Heather here? here? Are they usually in the, uh, working with children? But, but by Heather, and it was Abrines, they would give a piece of jewelry to all of the women. So our goal is to lavish them. This is a true story. We've had two women in the last 25 years leave their husbands so they could say they were single just to come to the single mom. That's a true story. As a matter of fact, last year, one woman called the Lafayette campus and she said, I got to cancel my position. She said, why? She said, I'm not really a single mama, but when I heard everything they got, I put down that I was. So please, we are about reconciling people. Not that. Well, welcome to our relationship series. One of the greatest paradoxes of life is relationships. It really is. You say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because relationships are the greatest source of pleasure that we have, but they can also be the greatest source of pain. Let me explain what I'm talking about. It can be painful not to be married. And it can be very painful to men be quiet. Get you any more trouble than you're already in. It can be painful to not have children down through the years. Pastor Don, Caleb, Michelle, and I have prayed with so many people. Pastor, would you pray with us? We, we want to be able to have children. We're doing everything. We, we, we've tried in vitro fertile. We've tried all these different things. Could you pray for us? 
It can be painful not to have children, but I can tell you over the last 50 years of ministry, I cannot tell you how many thousands of parents that I've wept with as their children walk through rebellion, disobedience, and heartbreak and disappointment. It can be painful not to have close friends, best friends, but it can really be painful to have a best friend who betrays you and disappoints you. I often say God created us for relationships. Say that with me. God created us for first with him and then with people. Because we were created for relationship, the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our relationships. It really doesn't matter how good things are at work if when you left home, your wife doesn't talk to, want to talk to you. Because the whole time you're at work and the whole time everybody thinks that you're great because you're the supervisor or the boss or maybe the business owner, you know in your mind the person I love the most that knows me best is not happy with me. We're at odds. Because we were created for relationship, it always comes back to how do we build relationships? Let me ask the first obvious question. Pastor Jacob, what if I get close to somebody? What if I like really am close to somebody and like I I love them and like I become vulnerable and like I open myself up to them? I'm I'm really intimate. The word intimacy is into me see. Like I really let them know who I am. And what if I let them in and then they hurt me? They hurt me. Well, today I want to make you a promise. They will. You you might not like it, but it's true. People will hurt you, offend you, disappoint you. Let me say it like this. All people will hurt you and offend you and disappoint you. Do you know why? Because our world's broken. Our world's never been what God wanted it to be since the fall in the garden when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those who were created to live forever from that moment on knew they would never be what they were created to be. They would never be in right relationship with God and they would never be in right relationship with one another. That's why when Jesus came, he came to reinstitute God's plan that he had from the beginning to restore us to relationship with God and to relationship with one another. So, Pastor, what what are you saying? I'm saying all people are going to hurt you. You just have to decide who's worth hurting for. All people are going to hurt you. You just have to decide who's worth hurting for. And because we live in a broken world that's not what God wanted to be ever since the fall, the only people to have relationship with is broken people. Broken people. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've been married for 41 and a half years, and I, I've hurt my wife when I thought I was being a blessing to her. Anybody ever done that? Not hurt my wife, hurt yours. <laughs> can I give you an example? She's not here, so I can tell it. <laughs> Stephen blocked this part of the tape. About 15 years ago, uh, Pastor Don and Kayla remember this well. 
um, Michelle started having headaches and we didn't know what was wrong with her and she was always young and healthy and beautiful and went to a doctor and the doctor said, you, you have a tumor and you, 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 it looks like it's growing. You need to go immediately to MD Anderson Hospital where they deal with cancerous things like this. And so we packed up everything and in just a few days we were at MD Anderson Hospital, the largest cancer research hospital in the world. And they began doing scans and all kinds of things. And we, we soon discovered that she had a brain tumor and that she had thyroid cancer. And so they immediately were going to remove her thyroid and then they were going to do a scan of this brain tumor to see what kind it was, if it could be removed. Well, by the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God, it was a non-growing tumor that was just there. And what was causing her the headaches actually was her thyroid. It wasn't that. And so we went for three or four years and they scanned it and it wasn't growing. And so, you know, whether you know this or not, a lot of, people, a lot of us have things like that in our body. We just don't know it because they're not bothering us. And had she not had this thyroid issue, we wouldn't have known that. And so she... She, she gets her thyroid removed and then gets radiation treatment and stuff like that afterwards. So now she has to take medication to replace her thyroid. Anybody here do that? Okay. And, and so <clears throat> she, the, every night, we used to get it at the pharmacist and it became such a hassle. We finally found a place where you, you could order online and they sent you like six months supply. And it's in one of these big kind of... Uh, medicine things and you've got a big top and you know to, to open it you got to push it down on it and I mean it's child proof and almost adult proof does anybody know what I'm talking about and so every night when we go to bed she takes that and she puts that at the sink with with some water so that when she gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom she'll be able to take her medicine so being the wonderful, holy, gracious, kind, chivalrous man of God that I am, I thought, and I do this often, when she would have the water there and it was, you know, when, when you haven't opened up a fresh bottle of water, it can be hard to open. So I would just break, break the, the seal on there just so it'd be easier for her to open. She wouldn't have to turn on the lights or anything. She'd just reach over and just be able to. So I thought, one day I thought, well, you know what, I'm doing that. I'll just go ahead and open the, because, I mean, it is. It, it was really difficult to open. So, I mean, she's this big, so I mean, I'm like, okay, I'll just open. So I opened that. So I've opened the water for her. Where's the love? <laughs> Ladies, where's the love? Okay, I'm thinking about her. I haven't said anything to her. I'm just doing this because I'm thinking about her. And now I'm opening the thyroid thing box, top. So about two or three months go by, she didn't say anything. Not thank you, baby. Not did you really need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night or did you just get up to do that for me? Like nothing. But about two and a half months into it, one day she goes, are you the one that's opening up my medicine? I said, uh, I'm thinking 
It, is, it, it wasn't like, hey, baby, are you the one opening my medicine? I mean, you know, men, it's not what they say, it's how they say it. It was like, are you the one opening up my medicine? And I said, well, yeah. She goes, why are you doing that? It wasn't, why are you doing that? It was, why are you doing that? I said, well, baby, I'm doing that because it's very hard to open. And when I thought about you having to open that, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I also break the seal on the water for you and, and leave it closed. And, and I did that because I thought, she goes, when I get up in the night and it's already open, I'm thinking I've taken my medication. And when I don't take my medication for two or three days, my whole chemistry's off. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm, why did, stop doing that. And you know what I'm thinking? There's a lot of stuff I'm about to stop doing. Let me tell you something. I'm stopping to pay the bills. I'm going to stop cleaning up the yard. I'm going to stop picking up the trash. I'm going to stop washing your car. I'm going to stop filling up with gas. I'm going to stop washing dishes. I'm going to stop. Let me tell you, man, women would love to have a man like me to sit around and do all that kind of stuff for you. That's not what happened. That's not what I said, but what I wanted to say. Come on, man, show me some love. You know it's true. Do you know what that means? That means that we can actually offend and disappoint people with the best of motives in mind. Because we're broken and because we're not God and we're not all-knowing, we can actually think we're doing something to be a blessing to someone and actually we're being a burden to them and we don't even know it. So here's a better question. How do I live in a, with broken people in a broken world when being offended and disappointed is inevitable? It's inevitable. I know what some of you are saying. I'll tell you how. Don't get close to anybody. Don't, don't become vulnerable with anybody because pe- people will stab, they will stab you. New Iberia people. What you talking about? Wait till you get them generette people. They'll stab you twice. I ain't even got to Cypress Island. <laughs> okay, look right here. Listen carefully. Here's the truth. Because all of us are not all-knowing. Because all of us have everything that is finite. Our knowledge, our feelings, our emotion, our emotional intelligence our actual intelligence, all of that is just temporary and finite. So here is what I want you to know. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships and the quality of your relationship is determined by how you resolve conflict because conflict is inevitable. Let me say it like this. Everyone is going to offend you. Pastor, who said that? Jesus did. Jesus did. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. He said, then he said to his disciples, read it with me. It is. Whoa. Well, we're not. No, we're not the same place. No, let's go to Luke 17, 1, and the New King James. Skipped ahead of me. 
Are we there? Okay, how about if I quote the Bible to you and y'all trust me that I'm saying the truth? <laughs> While they get the right translation up there, which is the Duke King James. Can we get it up there? Are we ready? Okay, here's what Jesus said. How many of you trust me? Okay, here's what he said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, it is This is the same Jesus that said all things are possible. Twice Jesus said it is impossible. Here's one. He said it is impossible that what? No offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they come. It's interesting. He's saying all people are going to hurt you, but for people that intentionally hurt you, woe. Woe. And then he says this. It would be better... For him, if a, okay, do we have the same? Okay, Okay, good, it is. It would be better if he had a millstone and it were hung about his neck and he was what? Thrown into the sea. Now, it's interesting because another time when the Bible talks about sea, it talks about throwing our sin into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. So he says, if he had a millstone, a millstone was a huge, huge thing that was usually pulled by an ox. And when they pulled it, they would put grain on top of it and it would ground out the grain. And here's what he says. It would be be better for him if a millstone was tied around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Think of that picture. than if he should offend one of what? The little ones. And then he says these four words. Read it with me. Let me translate that. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Watch your heart. Guard your heart. Watch yourself. If your brother sins against you, here's what he tells us to watch out for. If your brother sins against you, what do you do? I'm good with that. Huh? Why you did that? What's wrong with you? I'm about to six the people from Generetta on you. Okay, I mean, if you do me wrong, I just correct you. How many of you go with that one? Okay, can I help you? When I'm preaching, there's two parts of the message. My part is setting the trap, and your part is falling into it. I'm doing my part. You're not doing your part. So I'm good with that. But he says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he, what? How many of you go with that? Oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bump your car. I didn't mean to say that. I mean, I didn't know you were right there. I mean, I didn't realize that. Okay, I'm good with that. And if he sins against you in a day, I'm not good with that. Let's just start right there. Do you know the disciples Peter was asking, how many times should I have to forgive somebody? Remember. These were 12 different personalities all shoved together with Jesus watching over them. You ever heard the term Jesus is watching you? He was. They're bickering. Who wants to get closest to him? Who saw the miracle? Why do only Peter, James, and John get to go up to the sacred places? I mean, all of these bickerings are going on just like any family, any large family. And so he says, if your brother sins against you, Seven times in a day, and seven times a day saying, you, I got a problem with that. 
The first time, I forgive you. Second time, you just did that a while ago. Do you know in the Jewish law, you only had to forgive twice and max was three times? So Jesus is just destroying all of their Jewish theology. And he says, and if he does it seven times every day or in a day, you shall forgive him. And listen to what the apostle said. And the apostle said, not increase our forgiveness. Like Jesus, if you want us to do that, you, you got something. <laughs> there, there is another source that you're operating on besides the law that we've lived on all of our lives. So Jesus said, if you have as a, I want to show you a mustard seed. Think we have it? That's my hand. Is that a big hand? No, it's not my hand. <laughs> Look how small that mustard seed is. Because as soon as Jesus tells them they have to forgive seven times in a day, they're going, that is huge faith. Can I remind you, faith is not measured by how big it is. Faith is measured by who your faith is in. You can have a lot of faith and a bad person and always be disappointed. But you can have a little faith in someone who is completely faithful. He says, if you have just a little faith, because they're thinking big forgiveness. If you have just a little faith, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this. Okay, come, come on, don't be afraid to pronounce this, all right? <laughs> can we go to the verse, please? I'm, I'm sorry. It's a verse. It's in the Bible. Verse 6. Okay, here we go. Okay, next verse. Okay, there you go. So if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this, be pulled up by. Okay, now remember, seed, roots. Now I'm going to show you a mulberry tree. Look at the roots in that thing. Look at the roots in that thing. He's saying that little bitty mustard seed, if you have it planted in a big God, will give you the faith to be able to look at something, a tree, that's roots look as deep as the tree is, tree is tall. That you'll be able to look at those roots and say, be pulled up. What is he talking about? Offense. What is he talking about? Unforgiveness. Be pulled up and planted into that's the second time he talks about the seed. One is the person who offends something's tied around his neck and thrown into the sea. Now he's saying, look at these roots and they can be thrown into the sea. What is Jesus teaching us? What is he teaching you and me? And what is he teaching his disciples that he gives us a front row seat to? I think he's teaching us how to live with broken people. Your mother-in-law, your child, what, 
What is Jesus teaching us? Let me go through a few things that I think he's teaching us. Number one, he's teaching us it's impossible to do life and not be offended often. Why would you say that, Pastor? I didn't say that Jesus did. I didn't say that Jesus did. The offenses are traps. Another word, this is often translated as offense, is a stumbling stone. A stumbling stone. It's kind of like you're walking like this and someone rolls a stone like a, like a big bowling ball towards you to knock you down. The purposes of offense is to take you out. That's why Jesus said, take heed to yourself. Whoa, watch yourself. Watch yourself. These are stumbling stones that the enemy throws at you. They happen in our personal relationships. They happen in professional relationships. And unforgiveness has strong roots like a mulberry tree. Because if you get hurt, if you hold on to it, it becomes offense. If you hold on to offense, it becomes unforgiveness. If you hold on to unforgiveness, it becomes bitterness. If you hold on to bitterness, it becomes resentment. Do you know what the word resent means? To relive. You know what the punishment is for not forgiving people that offended you? You keep reliving over and over what they did to you, no matter how long ago it was. Jesus is saying, it's impossible to do life and not be offended. Here's the next thing that he tells us, forgiveness is not rooted in your faith in people. Pastor, I've tried. Every time I forgive somebody, they hurt me again. It's not rooted in your faith in people because all people are going to hurt you. I already told you that. It's rooted in your faith in God. It's rooted in your faith in God. They didn't say, Lord, increase our forgiveness, did they? They said, Lord, increase our, our faith. How can I ever trust people again, pastor? No, the real question is, do I trust God to protect my heart when I open up to people he sent into my life? Do, 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 do I have the capability of trusting him? Luke 17, verse 4 and 5, the amplified version, which is the study version of the Bible, which gives you the fullest meaning of the original language, says this. Even if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times and says, I repent, you, it doesn't, before it said you shall forgive him, this translation says you must forgive him. That is, and here's the fullest meaning, give up resentment and consider the offense recalled and annulled and the apostles said to the Lord increase our faith our ability to confidently trust not in people in God in his power because what happens when you get hurt is you go I'm never going to get close to people again I'm never going to trust people again I'm never can I tell you what's more painful than being hurt by people not having any people in your life you love and trust didn't we see that in the grand experiment in COVID? When for two years people were isolated in their home, they were isolated from God because they were walking in fear and not faith, and they were isolated from fellowship because they were kept from going to the house of God and worshiping. And do you know what happened? 
100,000 people OD'd on fentanyl alone, one drug. More people took their lives than in ever in history. As a matter of fact, this is the first, this is true. The first time in history since World War I that more working age people have died. More people died of fentanyl than died of COVID. Most people died with COVID. They had several other different things, but they didn't die of COVID. 100,000 people died just of fentanyl. They arrested somebody in Opelousas a month and a half ago who had enough fentanyl to kill everybody in Acadiana. That's not alcohol. That's not heroin. That's not meth. That's not cocaine. That's not all of the other plethora of drugs and addictions that there are in the world. But in that 24-month span, more people died, OD'd, took their lives. In that time, they've done the surveys, mental health, dysfunctional mental, mental health increased by 50% and sometimes 100%. Why? Because we were made for relationship. We were made for relationship with God and with people. Forgiveness is not rooted in your faith in people. It's rooted in your faith in God. It takes faith in God to forgive other people. There's some people here, you're wired like me. You have a strong sense of justice. Like, that's wrong. They did that, and that's wrong. They need to pay. Everybody needs to pay for their sin, except you. It takes faith to forgive and to trust the justice of God to deal with it. That's what he said. Listen, if someone intentionally hurts you, let me give you the picture. He said, it's better for them than they tie a millstone around their neck and throw themselves into the ocean than they hurt a purposely offend a child of God. You know what God's saying? I got you. Don't worry about it. Do you know what happens when you can't forgive people? Look at me. You don't release them to God so that God could deal with them because you're still trying to deal with them. That's one. Number two, don't clap yet. I'll give you a moment to clap. Number two, look at me. If God did deal with them, you know what you'd go and say? <laughs> yeah. Don't you mess with God's child from Generate. <laughs> look, look at me. God can't deal with them until you get to a posture that he has towards them. Forgiveness is not rooted in my love for people, but it's rooted in my faith in God. Number three, Jesus is teaching us forgiveness is not an option, it's obedience. The next verses Jesus tells in this next story, I'm not going to pull it up, but the next verses Jesus says, one of you has a servant that comes in from working all day long. You don't tell him, sit down and let me cook you a meal. You tell him, I'll sit down, you cook me a meal, and then afterwards you eat. And do you reward him because he did this? No, he did what a faithful servant should do. When you forgive, you're not a hero, you're a Christian. We are commanded to forgive by the one who paid for all of our forgiveness. He gave you a dump truck load and he's asking you to give out 
three peanut M&Ms. He paid for it all. It's not an option as a child of God. It's simply obedience. We are commanded to forgive by the one who gave us forgiveness. Number four, only the forgiven can truly forgive. Everything man has is limited. His time is limited. His years are limited. His strength is limited. His thoughts, everything we have is on a limited basis, but what God has is unlimited. We receive unlimited forgiveness from God. Therefore, only Christians can forgive an unlimited amount of times. That's what Jesus was saying. Now, when Jesus said seven times a day, another time when Peter asked him, how many times should I forgive? He said seven times because he probably remembered this one. That teaching, I learned from that teaching, Jesus, I got to forgive seven times. And he said, no, Peter, I got a new addition. I want you to add to it. 70 times seven. Now, do we have any graduates of niche? Okay. Anybody here that met an A in math? Raise your hand. Okay. I hate you in a Christian kind of way. Okay. Only as a Christian. What is 70 times seven? Come on. Do you think Jesus meant 490? If he did, every man here is in trouble. I can tell you that. You imagine if you walked in the inside of your closet, your wife had a chart, that's 493. You know what Jesus was saying? Same thing he was saying with the seven times a day. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. That's what he's saying. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. God gave forgiveness to me. So he could give forgiveness through me. Who's the source? He is. Not me. Some of you have been molested. Some of you, your mate cheated on you. Some of you have been abused by people that you loved and trusted. Some of you have been misrepresented. Mismanaged by people that you worked for, that you loved and cared for. By family members. Look at me. In our own capacity, it is impossible to forgive. But we're not the source of forgiveness. Who is? So you know what I do as a child of God? I take the sin that someone commits against me and I take it to the same cross that I went to to lay down all of my sin every time I ask God to forgive me. I guess here's a better question. How many of you ask God to forgive you every day? How many of you ask him at least seven times in a day to forgive you? Then you better pray he doesn't just mean seven times. Here's the next thing Jesus is teaching us. Number five, when I obey God and forgive others, I not only release my faith, I release myself. He will never command us to do something that he will not give us the power to do. When you can't forgive, it's not how much forgiveness do they deserve, it's how much freedom do you want to have. How much freedom do you want to have? Number six, it's not my love for others 
that empowers me to forgive them. It's my love for God. It's my love for God. When I can't forgive others, it's not because I can't forget what they did to me. It's because I've forgotten what I've done to God and others. Love remembers. You ever heard forgive and forget? Love remembers but still forgives. Love remembers but still forgives. Jesus did not die to forgive me because he felt like it. He died to forgive me because he loved his father and he loved me. Because that's what I hear all the time. I, don't, I, just, I just don't feel it. I just don't feel it. Only the forgiven can truly forgive. So, Pastor, how do I forgive? You got it. You nailed me. Okay, I'm guilty. What steps do I take? In the last five, six minutes, I want to give you some practical steps to take. Number one, remember. Now, that's been happening right now. The whole time I've been preaching about forgiveness, there are people's mugshot like on TV that have been flashing in front of your face. The whole time, they're flashing in front of your face because the Holy Spirit is bringing them to you. People you need to release. They've been like mugshots. Number one, remember who I need to forgive. Number two, repent. Lord, forgive me. I go to the cross. I ask you several times a day, more than seven times a day, to forgive me. How can I go to the cross and ask you to forgive me and not trust that the same God that forgives me when I lay them down at the cross will give me forgiveness as well so I can give to them? I'm just the conduit. I'm not the source. I'm just the hose. He's the source. And forgiveness like water is being poured out through me from him. Here's the third thing. Release. Some of you, when I talk about this, it's kind of like you, if unforgiveness was in your hand, it's like you put your hand in your pocket. You just walk around like, oh, I know what you're talking about. I'm not going to send that out. I know what you're talking about. I know. Hold it. He got around my back pocket. I'm going to go higher. And you've been holding on to it. All the while, you keep asking God to not hold on to anything from you. Lord, let him, Lord, forgive me. But you're holding on to it. Remember, repent, release. Choose to let it go. Choose to let it go in obedience to God. Number four, renew my mind towards that person by praying for them. And confessing with your mouth that you release them. Some roots need to be continually spoken to. Every time that root tries to pop up, you go, in the name of Jesus, I have released them. I release them. I let them go. I went to the same cross where I let go of my sin, and I release them. Every time it comes up. You know what the Bible tells us to do for people that, that, that we think are our enemies? The last thing you want to do. Pray for them and bless them. Pray for them and bless them. Pray for them and bless them. Now, all of this happens between me and the Father. 
those seven steps happen between me and the Father. But some of you need to go to some people. Not a text, not an email, not a card. You say, Pastor, how, how do I know the difference? I am not going to give you the privilege of hearing from me. I'm going to give you the honor of hearing from your Father who knows what you need to do. He knows. So, 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 so what do I do if, if I need to really, really do that? What do I do? Pastor Sean, come on up here. Come on, how many of you love Pastor Sean? Contrary to popular belief, you don't have to be bald to be on staff here at this church. Come on. I'm going to show you what you do. Look, I'm, I'm, I got to come to him and I got to make something right. Number one, I come in a posture of humility. A posture, it isn't like, God won't leave me alone, so I had to come and talk with you. Kind of like the Holy Ghost police drug you in. Put yourself in a posture of humility. First, look them in the eye. Look them in the eye. Why is that significant? Have you ever had somebody do this? <laughs> okay. I know you know there's been something there. But get it out. I'm a Christian, I gotta tell you. What does all that body language say to you? They don't mean it. This is trite. This has nothing to do with the measure of the pain they brought to me. You look, posture of humility, look him in the eye. Secondly, I own it. Sean, I, I said something about you and I, I'm so sorry. I, I, I own what I did. You don't go in and, and rationalize. Well, you know, I wouldn't have said that, but you know, people were talking bad words about that than you. But I mean, all I said was, I mean, compared to what everybody else said, what I said wasn't even that bad. I just said you were ugly. They said you were short, fat, ugly. They didn't like your mom and your dad when they were alive. Okay. You know what rationalize is? Stephen Covey says it's rational lies. You don't 50% own it. You don't 40% own it. You 100% own it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit told you to go back and make it right. If he would have told you it was 30%, he would have told you that. Posture of humility. Look them in the eye. Own it. Don't rationalize. Third, tell them that you're truly sorry. I am truly sorry for what I did. I'm truly sorry. Here's the next thing. Tell them that by the grace of God, it will never happen again. By the grace of God, God, I'm so sorry, Sean, for what I said. I, I shouldn't have said it. I own it. I don't blame anybody else with me. By the grace of God, this will never happen again. And then the final thing is, thank him. Because the natural response is, he'll go, I, I forgive you. Thank you. Thank you. Look at me. I'm going to ask you just a question. How many of you know someone that can rarely apologize and say they're sorry? Raise your hand. Don't point at them. Just raise your hand. Okay. 
Look at me. I'm a Christian. I repent 50, 100 times a week. I'm a professional repenter. If there's anything I should be able to do as a Christian, it's truly repent to someone. It's truly repent to someone. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Now, can I share something very, 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 very personal with you? And pain. My son Joseph preached this morning at the Lafayette campus. All the services that are there and we're in a three-year transition for him to take the Lafayette campus. So I preach three weeks, he preaches one week, and we'll just continue. The person that was there with at that campus before as the campus pastor was Pastor Chris Reese. He's been here, our New Orleans Saints player who been raised up and trained here. On the day that Pastor Chris was to be launched to go to Youngsville, it was a big day. It's a big day. Pastor Chris shut down everything there in 2000, came and became the campus pastor at the Lafayette campus. And he is a true son in the Lord to me, a true son like Pastor Don. His father was a drug addict, left his mama when she was five years old. Mama's a school teacher, raised their children. They all went to inner city schools. And when Pastor Chris came here eight years ago, I prophesied to him, you're not supposed to go around sharing your story. You're called to pastor, and if you'll move here, I will be a father and a pastor to you. And a month later, they moved here from Georgia, not knowing a soul here of any relational connection. Well, they knew one guy named Jake Smith, that, that's how we knew him, but no, nobody, nobody here, serious relationships. So on that day, he's going... We're going to pray over him. Y'all, through Legacy, we, we were going to give him $200,000 to buy everything they needed to relaunch at Ascension. And so he and his wife are there. Maybe his mother flew in. Just It was, it was a big deal. And I noticed during the week that, like, my son Joseph was going, man, Dad, this, this, this Sunday's a big Sunday. I said, well, yeah, for, for Pastor Chris, it's a big sin. He goes, no, like, like I mean, I'm like going to be stepping in in this place. And I said, yeah, but remember, son, this, 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 is, about, this is about Pastor Chris. I mean, you'll, you'll be here with me for years. So we'll, we'll, we'll. That was just kind of a passing remark. It probably didn't last 30 seconds. That Sunday... I didn't know this, but Joseph had invited his wife's relatives and some other friends. Joseph went out and he bought a suit. I'm thinking we're going to make this all about Pastor Chris. Joseph is thinking, all my life I've waited for this moment to work with my daddy. And here it comes. And so Pastor Chris comes up and his wife and we lay hands on him and we pray over him and we bless him. And after I get through, I say, you know, um, 
was about to preach. I said, you know, many of you wondered, like, who's going to replace Pastor Chris? Well, Pastor Joseph, who's been the youth and college pastor, he's going to be joining me. I said, I know. You know is he going to be the assistant pastor, the associate pastor? And I said, you know, it don't matter. They both start with the same three letters. Went home like we do every day after church, and we all ate, and usually Joseph and Rochelle and my grandson, John Wesley, come, and they didn't come. I said, where's Joseph and Rochelle? said, oh, they were tired, and John Wesley had to be down for a nap, and so eat, take a nap, don't think anything about it. About five o'clock, I'm up, and my wife comes by and goes, Joseph's wife just called. I said, how are they doing? Everything okay? I said, no, it's not. I said, what do you mean it's not? I said, baby, do, do you realize what you did today? We honored Pastor Chris and prayed for him and blessed him to go and thanked him for the years that he'd been here, sent him out. Because, no, baby, this, this was Joseph's first opportunity to be beside you. And to be honored as Chris went out for him to take his place. He invited people. He bought a new suit. Did you know that? I went, no. And I went, I, I feel horrible. She said, well, don't call him. Don't call him right now. Don't call him and he'll know that, that, that Rochelle told me. Don't, don't, don't call him. Well, every daddy here knows I didn't sleep very well that night. If I slept much at all. The next morning, I, I, I called him and asked him to come over. He came over and I looked and I said, Joseph, I, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I said, baby, daddy, nothing makes daddy happier than to know that you're right beside me. You want to carry on the legacy that your mom and I, you know, we have many spiritual sons and daughters, but to have you beside us, you and Rochelle, it means the world to us. I said, when's the staff meeting this week? He said, on Tuesday. Wednesday. So on Wednesday, I said, I'd like to speak to the staff. Wednesday came, I came walking in and I said, hey, y'all, as you know, this weekend was a big weekend and we sent Pastor Chris off. Thank y'all for everything you did. You did an amazing job. But I wanted to come right now and I wanted to apologize to Joseph and Rochelle in front of all of y'all. Greatest dream of my heart as a father is to see my children want to walk in the same legacy of preaching the gospel of discipling men and women of seeing Acadiana transformed. And I had one moment, I blew it. I made a joke out of something that should have been the moment. I know I can never regain that again. And I began weeping. I said, Rochelle, I want to apologize to you. Because I know you watched your husband like her. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? And then I went through each of the staff members and said, would you please forgive me? He said, Pastor, do you do this every time you mess up? No, but I don't tell you those stories. I'm just telling you this one. <laughs> I asked them all to forgive me. I prayed, weeping, and then I left and they continued the staff meeting. A couple hours later, I get a call from Joseph. Kind of 
concerned about what he would say. I said, hello. And he said, Daddy, you taught me more about how to be a man of God today than you ever have in your lifetime. I love you more and I respect you more today because of what you did than I ever had before. You see, humility makes us attractive to God and to others. I've never shared this story publicly. Because when you think about going and looking at some people, it's going to be a difficult conversation just like that. But can I tell you what happens when you do that? Humility creates an atmosphere that invites the presence of God in. Now, would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, today, as I've shared, you by your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you've done what you always do. You come and you put your finger on the very thing that's keeping us from greater intimacy with the Father, from experience more of the love of God and more of the multiplied blessings you desire to pour out on us just like we do our children. But sometimes you have to deal with painful things just like we do with our children before you can deal with the pleasurable things. And now by your Holy Spirit, I know, I know that you're bringing names, that you're bringing faces that need to be released. That we need to take their offense against us, their sin against us, their wrong against us, and take it to the same cross that we go to every day, multiple times a day to receive forgiveness. Jesus, come by your Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, come. Come right now. I want every person here, I want you to hold your palms flat and set them on your lap. And if there's people the Holy Spirit has brought to you while I've been preaching that you know you need to let go of, I want you to clench your fist. Just clench your fist. You've been holding on to it. You've been holding on to it. You say, Pastor, I haven't had the strength. You just need the faith of a mustard seed today. And you can pull up deep roots that have been there for generations. Now I'm going to ask everyone here to pray aloud with me as I lead you through a prayer of releasing, repenting, and believing that the Holy Spirit will bring reconciliation between them and God, even if there's not reconciliation between us and them at this moment. So I want everyone to pray with me and say this, Dear Lord Jesus, see those that I've held on to. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I've asked you to forgive me so many times. 
holding on to what they've done to me or those I love. Today, just as you released me, washed my sin by the blood of Jesus, I choose now to obediently release them. And now open your hands. Just open your hands. I just say, I release them in the name of Jesus. Just take a deep breath. Holy Spirit, come right now. Right now. Sweep across this room. Sweep across this room right now. You saw the pain. You saw what was done to them. You wept too. Now keep praying with me. Today I release them and I receive freedom and forgiveness in Jesus' name. Now just take a deep breath. Father, they're being released now. They're being released right now in the name of Jesus. They're being released right now. Right now. Now what you just say to me, I release them. I release them. I release them. I release them. Say this with me. Every time it comes back, I'll speak to the root and release them. Just like I receive forgiveness. And finally, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they couldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they couldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I've been Christian, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. All that's good. But Jesus said in John 3, 3, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. When they died spiritually, all of their offspring did, you and me. And our spiritual journey begins the moment we come to Christ and we trust him fully and repent. Tell him we're truly sorry. And Christ comes to live in us. That moment, we become spiritually alive and we're spiritually raised from the dead. Spiritually raised from the dead. Not perfect. Infants aren't perfect. But you're an infant. You're a babe in Christ. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I've been christened, maybe I've even been baptized before, but I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me today? Today, I want to be born again. If Jesus said, that's what I need to do to be born again, that's what I want to do today. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand real high so I can pray for you. And then I'm going to pray for you and we'll dismiss. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing has been an accident from the baptisms to every story you've heard today, all of it, God knew you would be here for this moment. And now's your time to surrender fully to him and be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high, and I'm going to pray for you. Anywhere, yes, yes, one, two, anywhere else, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, anywhere else? Okay, 10, 11. All right. You can put your hands down. Last 30 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but my heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know God is talking to me. I don't know why I've waited. 
I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise it and wave it at me. Enjoying these. Wave it at me. Wave it at me. If you didn't raise your hand, wave it at me. Wave it at me. At church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raised their hand to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I bleed on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus.